let's get going. So creating a mastering mindset. So thank you all for, for spending your Saturday morning or afternoon, wherever you are um, with me and talking about mindset. Cause I struggled with mindset growing up. It was something that I never knew that I actually had control over. And today we're going to be talking about beliefs and how belief systems are created and how thoughts are, are formulated um, from very early on and how they impact our performance today. So whatever you do, you might be in business, might start, start, you know, be starting your own endeavor. You might be an actress or actor. You might be in sports. You might be working for a big company. Mindset really impacts uh, performance in every area of your life. That's why it's so important. I mean, you see clubhouse rooms talking about mindset all the time, just because how important it is. So here are some ground rules for today. So for the first 40 minutes, please, again, keep your camera and mics off um, because I'm going to open them up and we're going to really engage with Q&As at the end of our time. And so please engage in the chat. So if you have questions, I'm going to ask you questions, answer them in the chat so I can read them and really be able to interact with you in real time. And so the last portion of this, I'm going to open it all up and I'm going to shut my presentation down so I can really be able to see you all and hear you all. If you don't feel comfortable going on camera, no worries. Just pop open your mic and, and uh, let's engage. Okay. So save your questions uh, towards the end if, if you can. On May 6, 1954, uh, there's a person by the name of Roger Bannister, and you may have heard this name. He, uh, he's a runner, and he broke the four-minute mile. Why the four-minute mile was such a milestone and was kind of marked as, as history is because before then, before May 6, 1954, they thought the four-minute mile was humanly impossible. They literally thought that no human could run a mile under four minutes. But Roger Bannister just knew that um, he could. The way that he trained and the way that he approached his uh, kind of process of training, he just believed that he can break the four-minute mile. And so on this day, he did it. He broke the four-minute mile, and it shattered the belief that running a four-minute mile was possible. It's not just this that was significant and for us to kind of glean from. It was 46 days later, John Lundy broke the four-minute mile. Now, now, why is this important? How, how is this really important for us? Well, because one person modeled it, because this person by the name of Roger Bannister broke that ceiling of what um, humans thought was impossible, he opened up this whole new world for others to follow suit, to believe that they can do it themselves. So in life, we create these psychological barriers that we create in our mind. So what we might see in life as impossible, might be possible for others, but why? Like, how is it possible for others? Or when John F. Kennedy said that we're gonna go to the moon and NASA had no idea how we're gonna do this, but we just made it happen, right? It's, it's, it's this mindset controls so much of what we can create in our life. And it really starts within, it starts inside of us. So what you believe you become. Let me, let me really let this sink in. What you believe, you become. Now, oftentimes, what we search for in life, we find, right? What you believe, you become. Henry Ford also has a quote that we're going to lean into in a little bit. But guess what? On an average day, we have about 50,000 thoughts per day. That's a whole lot of thoughts, 50,000 thoughts we have in a day. And we're competing with all these different distractions. And oftentimes the thoughts that we have are negative. It's just because in human psychology, we were, um, we were kind of raised and groomed 
to look out for safety of ourselves and safety for others. That's how our environment and our psychology was created, really about looking after safety to stay alive. So out of the 50,000 thoughts we have per day, a lot of them are often negative by nature. Henry Ford says, whatever you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. So mindset really controls a lot of what we see, how we see the world, and our perspective in this life. Now, here's the thing. Remember what I said about thoughts being negative in nature? There, there's something in psychology that we call automatic negative thoughts. And, and, and for short, in psychology, we call them ants, right? They're automatic and also they're out of our control. We have no control over these thoughts that we have. They just bombard us from times. And oftentimes they happen at the worst possible times. We might be getting ready for an audition. We might be getting ready for a speech or a pitch. And we're just flooded with these negative thoughts. They're automatic. They're these ants that creep into our mind. We may not be able to choose the thoughts that we have, but we can choose what we focus on instead. Focusing is one of the skills that I have learned over time and something that I teach as one of the most fundamental things in psychology. Because again, we may not be able to control the ants that come into our mind, but we can practice the skill of refocusing, to focus on different cues and focus on different things instead of all these 50,000 thoughts, right? Here's the thing. Imagine this for me. Let's say we wanted to look for um, a video on YouTube. And I'm sure you're familiar with kind of searching and typing in for, for example, say we wanted to fix our toilet, right? How do I stop my toilet from running? So we go on YouTube and we search for uh, this video, this tutorial for us to learn. So we're anticipating this tutorial. And guess what pops up instead? Ads. We all seen this. And sometimes these ads are, the, the sole purpose of these ads are to really distract us and, and grab our attention, right? They're loud, they're quick, they're fast. People have these marketing tactics to really kind of grab our attention and allow us to engage with these ads. But if we wait patiently, oftentimes on the bottom right-hand corner, what pops up? This little skip ad button, we wait for it and we anticipate it. So oftentimes these ads, as distracting and as big as they try to get, we don't necessarily pay any attention to it because we have this ability to skip the ad if we just count from five to, down to zero. Did you know that we also have something called the skip ad button in our brain? And we call this the neutral zone. And I'm gonna teach you something. I'm gonna have you all engage with this. Now here's a technique, the neutral zone. So here's what happens. When we get bombarded with these ants, automatic negative thoughts that we have no control over, we can refocus on getting to neutral. This is our skip ad button. This is almost like pressing a reset in our brain. There was a study done by Stanford Athletics and they had paired counting and visualized counting and breathing at the same time. And they called this circle breathing. And I'm gonna teach you the pattern and tell you why it works. And I'm gonna have you all engage with me and do three cycles of circle breathing. So it goes something like this. So you're literally counting silently in your head and breathing at the same time. So you breathe in for four counts, hold your breath for two, and slowly exhale through your mouth for six. Again, you breathe in through your nose for four, Hold your breath for two and slowly exhale through your mouth for six. So that's one cycle of circle breathing. Why does it work? Well, oftentimes when ants kind of bombard us and we're flooded with these negative thoughts, the mind naturally needs to hold on to a thought, to engage with the thought. 
And as it's engaging with this negative thought, it's going to create a narrative, right? If you think about a certain thought, for example, like, um, oh man, I don't like my voice. My voice is really uh, kind of, it's not that confident, it's shaky. People are gonna tell that I'm nervous. If I'm engaged with that thought, it's gonna create a narrative. And that narrative starts to create these emotional experiences. So if I'm engaged with my voice is shaky, people are gonna think I'm not confident, what am I gonna start feeling? I'm gonna start feeling not confident. I'm gonna start feeling and manifesting those beliefs, right? In real life, it's just gonna start to uh, happen, right? We call that self-fulfilling prophecy. And then my behaviors and the outcome of it is going to follow suit. Counting allows our brain, our mind, to detach from this whatever thought it was and onto something neutral like counting. Whenever you have trouble falling asleep, what do they recommend you do? Count sheep, right? Now it's not the sheep that make us sleepy. It's the act of counting that helps us neutralize any stories because the more you count, it's not gonna create an emotional experience. But here's the trick with circle breathing. You gotta really engage and concentrate on counting while you breathe at the same time. So four in through the nose, hold your breath for two, and slowly exhale through your mouth for six. That's one cycle of circle breathing. I want you all to do three cycles on your own, three cycles of circle breathing, and as soon as you're done, I want you to type in the chat what that experience was like for you, okay? Go for it. Three cycles on your own. Good, and keep going if you're still doing it. If you're done, go ahead and chat what that experience was like for you. It's not easy, it takes practice really. Needed to really focus, yeah. So the, the better you become at it, or the, the more you practice it, the easier it is for you to really engage with counting. And it's hard. Again, as you're trying to do a new activity, you're gonna be bombarded with different distractions and thoughts. You're gonna think of random things like, oh my, I, I have to get this from the grocery, right? Just random things are gonna pop up. But it, we have no control over these ants, these random thoughts, oftentimes negative. But we do have control over refocusing on what we want to focus on instead. Circle breathing is a neutral uh, zone stimulus that won't create emotional reactions or this kind of negative feeling or any type of feeling. So getting to neutral is the key. Once you get to neutral, what do we do from here? It's important that we focus on what we want to create, not what we're trying to avoid. What do I mean by this? Well, there was a study done with professional race car drivers, and they were studying um, what's the difference between professional NASCAR race car drivers and amateur race car drivers when they get clipped from behind and spin out of control. Here's what happened. They had cameras in their cars, and they studied their eye movement. 
And as soon as they get clipped out of a uh, clip from behind and spin out of control, professional race car drivers have trained their eyes to look for green. Why do they look for green? It's because green means the open field. It's the grass. So because they're looking for it as they're spinning out of control, they're gravitating towards that. On the other hand, amateur race car drivers are driving on the track and they get clipped from behind and spin out of control. Naturally, they, their eyes went to what? That's right, they went to the wall. They're trying to avoid the wall, but that's what they gravitated towards. So what you focus on, you will find. What you search for, you will find. So it's important that we focus on what we're trying to create, not what we're trying to avoid. If I were to tell everyone in here today, whatever you do right now, don't think of a blue elephant. You can think of anything else, just don't think of a blue elephant. Naturally, what pops up? The image of a blue elephant. So again, the mind, it's, it's gonna get distracted. It just naturally needs things to focus on. We just need to properly train it to focus on the right things at the right time and to do that consistently. And that's really the trick with mindset training. So here we go. The difference between thoughts and beliefs. Now, what do you think the difference between thoughts and beliefs are? Go ahead and chat. If, if, if there is a difference, what do you think those differences are? All right. Beliefs, more repeated thoughts. Beliefs are more deep inside. Thoughts can come and go, but beliefs are some core values that are more deeply rooted. Yes, absolutely. These are all great. A thought is harmless unless we believe it. And you, you all are kind of hitting on this. And Julie says thoughts can be lies or imaginations. Yes, thoughts are harmless unless we believe it. It's not our thoughts, but our attachment to our thoughts that cause suffering. Remember, we have 50,000 thoughts in a day. It's not the thoughts that make us experience what we experience. It's our attachment to these thoughts that make us experience whatever meaning we put behind it. Attaching to a thought means believing it, it is true without inquiring. Now, I'm going to teach you something that I learned in psychology called the ABCDE model. You may have heard of it. It's by Robert Ellis or Albert Ellis, who was the founder of Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, R-A-B-T. And he talked about this ABCDE model. What the heck is ABCDE model? Well, A stands for activating event. Anything that happens that creates or sparks this trigger within us, right? It can be an automatic negative thought. It could be an ant or it can be this uh, for example, let's say I'm, I'm going to give you an example. Let's say I'm on Clubhouse and um, there's an opportunity to raise our hand, right? So I press that. So that, that's an activating event. It, it, it triggered something within us. Then we have a belief around this activating event. So as soon as that happens, as soon as I engage with that raise hand function, and then all of a sudden this belief comes up. Oh, I don't, let's say I don't like my voice. My voice is... Um, just it's it's it sounds terrible, right? I don't I don't I don't like my voice, the sound of my voice. I'm uh, nobody's gonna like it. This belief starts to be created, and then because we have this belief, we have we experience consequences. So if I have this belief that I don't like my voice, that other people don't like my voice, then all of a sudden I'm not going to participate just because. You know, I, I have this belief and the consequences will follow suit. But here's the thing. The D and the E is something that we don't necessarily get to. We don't debate. Debating our beliefs. And, and David said this earlier in the chat. He's, he was saying, you know, challenging them to see if they're really true. And then if we do challenge them, then we can exchange our new beliefs with our old ones but we don't necessarily get that far. Oftentimes we just go from activating event to consequences. And those are the two things that we're aware of. We often don't um, unpack the belief behind these triggers that happen in life. 
and we experience the consequences. We know the consequences because that's what our reality is, but we don't question it. We don't, we don't even connect the dots on this. So here's the thing. Attaching to a thought means believing it is true without inquiring. Inquiring is the key. So if we take this A, B, C, D, E model, the two areas that I would really like for us to focus on today is the B and the D. The beliefs that we have and debating those beliefs. So to, to go back to that example of not liking my voice, let's say that's the case, and I have this deep-rooted belief because I was made fun of in the past with my voice, if I have this core belief that I don't like my voice, that other people don't want to hear my voice, if I start debating it and say, is this really true? Do, I, do other people not like my voice? By the way, what does voice even mean? Does it have to be just the sound of my voice or can it be uh, written in word or is there ways that where I've actually been praised or when people said, man, great presentation or I do like your voice. Can we challenge this belief? Because once we start challenging our beliefs, something strange starts to happen in our mindset. Not only do those old beliefs lose its power because we're shining a light on them, we also start to get to exchange. Once we debate our beliefs, we exchange new beliefs with old ones. And the more that we can debate our beliefs, we're going to experience these new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things, because we're uh, replacing old beliefs with new ones. So exchange, we never really get there until we start debating our core beliefs. Here's uh, an, a perfect example that I want to share with you. There was a, a story uh, of a couple that went to India. And this couple saw this huge, gigantic elephant tied to a skimpy stake and a skimpy rope in the ground. And the couple looked at each other and was like, what's going on here? Like easily the, the elephant could just kick over the stake and run away. But this huge elephant was, was like bonded and trapped by the stake. And so the couple asked their tour guide and said, excuse me, sir, can, can you explain to us you know, what's going on here? And the tour guy said, when this same elephant was a tiny baby, it was tied to that same exact stake and rope in the ground. But the elephant at that time tried to escape, but couldn't. That stake and rope was much bigger and stronger and powerful than the elephant was at that time. And over time, the elephant learned that it was helpless in this situation, that it was hopeless that that stake, whenever it saw it, was going to be stronger than this elephant was. This is a phenomenon called learned helplessness that was coined by Martin Seligman. And Martin, Martin Seligman is the founder of positive psychology. He founded um, this positive psychology movement at UPenn. And before he went into positive psychology, he coined this term learned helplessness as the first sign towards depression. This is a study that he did back in the 80s, and it's completely unethical, but this is how he learned this phenomenon that applies to human beings and our belief. Now, it's a study on dogs. And so what he did was he took a controlled study of dogs, and he rang a bell, and he shocked them. Rang a bell and shocked them. He took another set of dogs, rang a bell, and they didn't experience any shock. There's no shock. They just rang a bell, Nothing, neutral stimulus, right? And then he made this box with his team of researchers. He made this box. On one side of the box, underneath was a shock pad. Then he created a little barrier in the middle. And on the other side was safety. There was no shock at all. So he put the dogs who did not experience a shock before, he put them into this box where the shock was. He rang a bell and lit up the shock from underneath. The dogs freaked out because it was the first experience they felt from the shock. And they all, 100% of them, jumped over to the other side to, to safety. They just jumped over and got to safety and they didn't experience the shock anymore. Now, he put the dogs that experienced the shock before 
into this box. As soon as you ring the bell, the dogs hunkered down and just received and took the shock after shock after shock after shock. They just received it. I know it's terrible, right? It's completely unethical now. But here's the thing. How does this manifest in life for us? Remember, what you believe, you become. There are things in our life where we may have learned helplessness, that we have learned that we are not good enough or not worthy enough, and this manifests in our life. So we have to train and be aware of some of these beliefs, these limiting beliefs that we've created ever since we were small, like that tiny elephant, that we can't do this well, that we're not capable of making a lot of money or being a big time actor, actress, whatever it might be in life. We got to really be able to first identify what these beliefs are and learn to debate them so that we can exchange the old with the new. Okay. Training mindset requires a couple things. Requires you to train like you're training in the gym. And it's 100% within your control. So a lot of times people just are victims of life, victims to their mind, thinking that we have no way of training our focus or no way of training our mind. But we do. We do have focus. And I want to be able to break that belief that, that you actually have control over how you train your mind. Training your mindset impacts every area of your life. Now, if you're married or in a relationship or even with friends, sometimes you focus so much on wanting to change other people or help other people perceive you. But instead of focusing on the things that you don't have control over, other people's perceptions, other people's behaviors, you focus within. Focus on yourself. Develop yourself. Learn to take control of your attitude, your focus, your commitment, your effort, the things that you can actually control. Then when you become the change you want to see, you'll see all areas of your life changing. Your relationship starts changing. Your business starts changing. Your health starts changing. Focus on the things that you have control over. We hear that all the time, but we don't even know what's within our control. So we got to be able to identify those things first. Also, training your mindset is like developing a muscle in the gym. It requires you to train daily and it takes time. It's not an overnight success. It's not an overnight thing. It really takes time for you to train. So be diligent, stay committed, stay patient. You're going to fall down, but just pick yourself back up and train again. Just get back up, yourself up and, and, and get support. That's the way that we train mindset. Now, there's some key areas that I want us to focus on. Mindset training is simple. There are things that you already know how to do. You don't need to buy more books or read more videos or stay six hours on Clubhouse. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. It's hard. Like circle breathing, going back to really engaging with counting and breathing at the same time. It requires you to be 100% committed to the task at hand, to be present. Now, you know how hard it is to be present? That's what all these athletes aspire to do. And they train the basic skills like breathing and circle breathing and counting. They do these basic things, but they put sacredness into that. They train these basic skills, but they, they train so focused and hard on those things. They don't complicate it. It's not, it's not rocket science, but it's not easy to do because it really requires a lot of work. Victory goes to the vulnerable. What this means is that you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you want to train mindset and really break your beliefs or the things that have limited you in the past, you got to put yourself out there when it matters and try things differently. Do different to become different, right? If you keep repeating the same patterns, especially when it matters the most, 
then you're not going to get a different result. You got to be comfortable getting uncomfortable, putting yourself in those situations and being okay with messing up and falling down. Because again, mindset training is this a progression. It's a process. We never really get there. It's the journey that really matters. And confidence is an action. It's not a feeling. Oftentimes people feel like I have to do this or I have to have previous uh, successful experiences in order for me to be able to do this right. But guess what? Those who win a major championship or those who uh, sign a big deal for the first time, they've never done it before, but they put themselves in the situation where they act confidently, they feel prepared, they are, and they just kind of charge full steam ahead. Confidence is an action. And there's a saying, motion creates emotion. So when you move your body in certain ways and hold your body in certain positions, it's going to create and produce those emotions that are associated with those postures and the body movements. So even if you're feeling small, go big, act big, walk into a room confident because again, motion creates the emotions that you're looking for. Here's some areas for you to focus on. Learn more about your thinking patterns. Again, when I asked you that question, what do you control? What's in your control and what's not in your control? People say that all the time, focus on what you can control, but identify it, go one step further and start writing the things down. Okay, what do I have control over? And what is out of my control? Whatever performance arena that you're wanting to talk about, for example, let's say your new business, uh, marketing, hiring people, whatever it might be, write a list of what you have control over and also write a list of the things that you don't have control over. Now, on top of that, see if you can write the percentage of how much you focus on this throughout the day. So it has to equal 100%. So if you write a list of the things that you have control over and you write a list of the things that you don't have control over, start to divvy it up in percentages. How much do I focus in my day, my 24 hours, on the things that I don't have control over list or the things that I do have control over list, right? Write it down, 70%, 30%, and they have to equal 100, and be honest with yourself. Identify limiting beliefs. When you, be, when you start to identify and name your limiting beliefs, for example, like, I just had this belief that I'm not enough. Name it and, and explore it. Because the more that you can identify it, those core beliefs that limit you, it starts to lose its power because now you can start to debate it. You have a more of a focused target on what you're trying to debate and you're gonna collect some evidence on how you can debate this core limiting belief that you carry. Learn the fundamentals of confidence. And, and Jennifer just wrote, you know, love that whole confidence in action thing. Now, Amy Cuddy has a, a TED talk out there called Presence. You may have already seen it, but she talks about the research behind holding your power poses uh, right before big meetings or stretching, you know, stretching out and getting big because it really matters. It creates the emotional experience inside based on how you carry yourself. If you ever watch Tony Robbins backstage, the leadership guru, right? He has this routine that he does. He, he um, claps, turns around, jumps up and down. He gets, he gets his body and his motion in this excitement and, and he runs out on stage because motion creates the emotional experience that you're looking for. On the other hand, it works the other way. If your body is slumped and your head is down and you're just dragging your feet, Motion creates emotion. You're going to start to feel closed off, shy, limited, all that stuff that is associated with it. Focus is one of the most important skills that you can learn. If you take anything away from this experience, remember, focus is what you can, it, what you can train. You can train your focus instead of focusing on the automatic negative thoughts 
training yourself to refocus is one of the most important skills that you can learn in mindset training. Managing nervousness is another targeted area for mindset training. A lot of times we get nerves right before uh, a big event. Now, when we start to explore this, the feeling behind it, it's not the feeling that get in the way. It's the interpretation that we have of the feeling that we're experiencing that gets in the way, right? The feelings are, is an activating event. The belief is what happens, what we think about this feeling that creates the consequence. Now we can train ourselves to have different beliefs. We can debate those feelings, right? And exchange it. So for example, anytime I get butterflies now, like even preparing for this, I was getting ready and I was feeling butterflies. My heart was beating. And instead of saying, "Uh Oh, I'm not ready for this. Okay. What if they don't like it? That's that belief that kind of creeps in, but I challenged it and I exchanged it because I trained myself that anytime I get butterflies and my heart races, I tell myself I'm excited. I'm excited because even if I can give value to one person on this call, even if one person showed up, if I can focus on wanting to bless rather than impress, then I have nothing to stress. So managing your nerves, breathing, learning to interpret them in different ways is part of mindset training. Self-compassion. I'm a huge believer in self-compassion in ter terms of building your resilience and building your leadership. Self-compassion goes, it's, it's deeply researched by Kristen Neff. And uh, she trains leaders how important self-compassion is. And when you model that, it can actually impact a lot of relationship areas of your life, the people that you lead and all that. Learn flexible optimism. It's a term that you may never have heard before, but flexible optimism is being optimistic but realistic at the same time. It's different from blind optimism, like a pilot going into um, – a really severe bad weather and saying, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll be fine. We're going to make it. Flexible optimism is being able to be realistic of some of the different consequences, experiences of going into a certain task, but being prepared and going into it with flexibility. So that's a, a, another focus area that we need to be able to focus on in mindset training. If you want more resources, here's some things. And, and this is for you guys. I decided to give you guys a couple courses. One is Mastering Mindset. It's a complete series course that I train in. And again, mindset training takes time. I mean, it's just a lot of rebranding, refocusing, and training different skills. Um, for, for you guys, use this code if you wanna go deeper. It's 50% off of the main course that I offer. And then there's another course that I offer, um, it's on my site. It's called On Being an Emotionally Intelligent Leader. It's about emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is one of the most important skills that we can learn because it's about managing our own emotions so that we can lead effectively and influence other people in more of a positive way. So I talk about some of the myths and deconstructing emotional intelligence, and, and that's for, for you all. Use this code and you get it for free. So again, mindset training is more of an ongoing process. You've got to really be able to train like you train your body in the gym and it takes time. So be patient with yourself, be easy with yourself and give yourself self-compassion. I'm going to end with this quote, strive for progress, not perfection. There's power in starting, even if it's not hundred percent perfect. There's power in focusing on progress rather than perfection. Because inch by inch, life is a cinch, right? Yard by yard, life is hard. So whatever you do, strive for progress. Try to get a little bit, even just 1% better. Because 1% over time compounds into significant gains in your life. Don't need to be perfect to start just need to strive for 1% better each and every day. So now I'm going to close the, the slides down 
and I'm going to open up the mics and camera if you want, and we're going to engage in Q&A for the time that we have remaining. So uh, what questions did you have based on your own mindset or based on whatever you heard in this, uh, in this talk? So here we go. I'm going to stop sharing and uh, let's go. I really like the uh, circle breathing. I think um, just doing it three times. Um, yeah, it just really helped me to, it's like meditation, right? Like you step out of what you're, you're thinking and you step out of negativity. And um, I mean, it's just a form of meditation, is it not? The circle breathing. Yeah, and, and Julie, you were mentioning how you really needed to focus and concentrate when you were yeah. breathing. Um, what was coming up for you that you that allowed you to say that? Well, I was just trying to think of other examples um, of when I am overwhelmed. So, at work, when the when the paperwork is overwhelming and the managers. Um, are just giving you the work without really organizing it and you're working with a team and the team isn't isn't working with you so I, I think I need to just take a deep breath and just let go and not take up not take upon everything on myself I just have to even though the situation's not better I just have to uh, breathe and then uh, focus on just what I need to do like just focus on the breathing but just to get rid of the in negativity and just really let go. Yeah. And then I think, um, yeah, not, not be overwhelmed by the situation that's not working out right now. Yeah. Yeah. So you said a lot there, Julie, that uh, I kind of want to kind of unpack a couple things that you said that really stuck out with me. A lot of times uh, people do things that are unfair uh, and, and people do things uh, that might stir up a trigger or an emotional reaction with us. But when you start to train and get better with this, uh, we learn not to react to other people's reactivity. So the house might be burning. People are just kind of pulling their hair. There's chaos in the room. And oftentimes chaos is contagious. Like when somebody is just like really scrambled and they enter the room, you know what happens? We start feeling anxious. Like it came, it's not even our feeling, our emotion, but we start to feel anxious. But when we learn how to control what we can focus on and control what we can do, we don't react to other people's reactivity. We really focus and engage with taking a pause. There's a power in a pause. We just pause for a moment, circle, breathe, reset. Remember that list that I asked all of us to do, identify the things that we have control over right now, and we don't react to other people's reactivity because instead of chaos being contagious, we can replace that with calm. Calm is contagious. When you remain calm in the midst of chaos, guess who stands up as a leader? You do. Because we always gravitate towards someone who has a calm presence in crisis, in chaos. And when you can train yourself to do that, then there is a lot of influence and power there. So um, really what might be helpful is identifying, uh, just practicing circle breathing, but after that, you identify uh, things that you have control over and just do one thing in that moment. So if they give you a whole bunch of tasks, instead of getting overwhelmed with the pile of things that you have to do now, you just focus on tackling one thing at a time. And there's something called the Pomodoro method. And I, I taught this in, in one of the um, podcasts that I did. The Pomodoro method is where you chunk up your time in 25-minute increments. So you literally set your timer on your phone, and you do 25 minutes, and you focus on one thing for 25 minutes and staying completely engaged with it. Like counting, uh, how you're really engaged with it, you focus on doing that activity for 25 minutes, and then when the alarm goes off, you take a five minute break. You just, you stand up, you stretch, 
You don't, you don't go on social media or anything like that. You just take a break, right? You can do whatever you want. Just go outside, walk, take a drink of water, go to the bathroom, and then you go back and set your timer again for 25 minutes and you, you do the next task or whatever task that you have set aside. But you chunk up your time in 25-minute increments. Take a break for five minutes, 25-minute increments. Or uh, if you're feeling the flow, people set their timer for 40 minutes and take a 15 minute break. So chunking up your task can help you focus and really engage in getting things done. Mm, thank you, that sounds amazing, I'll try that, thank you. Yeah, give that a shot. What about others? Thoughts? Hi, um, hi. Hi. Hi, hi uh, thank you for your um, speech and class, it's, that's wonderful. And um, I think um, it really brings me uh, like a wake up call is that you are talking about the debate and the belief. Because yeah. um, I was, I was um, educated in Asia. So uh, belief, when they give you the belief, you take it. Yeah. You, don't, you don't really debate it. You, yes. you cannot say no, you cannot say anything. So um, I think this would be a very um, a good way for me to proceed in the future. Mm -hmm. um, my question would be, because um, have, I have not talk, heard about, you, about fear. Because um, how do we be more confident when we facing fear yeah. and, and changes? Because when there's changes, there's a fear. So is there any recommendation for facing the fear? Because this is, I might not, I might need to go to that route now. So I'm kind of um, not sure how to face. Yeah. Oh, Jenny, this is amazing. Uh, fear limits us in so many ways. But what they teach in psychology is that you run face into fear and and you do it and the more that so for example there's called something called exposure therapy oftentimes when people let's say let's say i'm walking home and i walk home and suddenly i get bit by a dog in the neighborhood as i'm walking this path and i've developed this severe fear and anxiety around walking this path because i don't want to be bit again i don't want to get hurt mm, so i protect right. myself mm -hmm. so what i do instead is i look for a different path to get home and i inconvenience myself and i go around the block completely around so i don't have to take this path anymore because fear stifles me but here's the thing if we don't ever go towards this path Yes, we can risk getting bit again, but we also can also learn that maybe that was a one-time occurrence. Maybe, maybe I, I, the more that I can expose myself to the fear and do it, the less that fear has control over me. So vulnerability is one of the most accurate measurements of courage. And this was researched by Brene Brown. Vulnerability means three things. It, it, it's going to require emotional exposure. It's going to require uncertainty. And it's also going to require <clears throat> uh, risk. So vulnerability requires three things. Emotional exposure, like we're going to have emotions. There's going to be uncertainty. And there's going to be risk involved. But the more that you can lean into vulnerability and fear, just saying, you know what, I have no idea what's going to happen, uncertainty. Uh, I'm risking my my like reputation or my ego right now because I might mess up and make a fool out of myself, and I have uncertainty. Like I I don't I don't know. Like I don't know if it's going to go well. But what can I focus on? What can I do instead? Instead of focusing on external things, like let's say I really channel wanting to serve and bless. Like I'm leaning into this fear because I know that someone might benefit from this message or someone might benefit on the other end if I can overcome this fear and do it. So when we start to do it more and just face it, like me, Janine, I had trouble um, competing. I was a competitive golfer, but I developed performance anxiety and I didn't wanna compete anymore. So I avoided going into competitions because I didn't wanna mess up and make a fool out of myself. I had this reputation that I built of being a very good golfer. And if I go out and I stink it, you know, I just stink it up, then what are people going to think of me? They're going to think of me less than I'm not as good. I'm not worthy. I had a lot of fear going into this um, arena. 
But my, my own coach was saying, do it more, sign up for it and give yourself permission to mess up, strive for progress, not for perfection. And the more that I just put myself out there, the less fear became, it, it just didn't have a, uh, a hold on me anymore. So the best advice that I give for people dealing with a lot of fear is just, just lean into it is to go for it, honor that it is fearful and that, you know, we, we might not get the experience that we want, but the moment that we learn from a failure no longer becomes a failure. The moment that we learn from a failure, it no longer becomes a failure. It becomes feedback. And we get to learn from that experience and grow from it and strive for progress, not perfection. Great. Hi, Grace. Hi, I just wanted to say hi. I actually have to run. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Matt. This was so, I took so many notes. I, I think the um, getting over nervousness is the one I really need to focus on, yeah. especially for auditions and stuff. Yes. Um, I've done a form of like the circle breathing before, but like with a timer. So when I was trying to do it myself, I was like, oh my God, this is hard yeah. <laughs> to try to count and breathe in and out at the same time. Yeah, I, I would uh, search, um, I think it's called Allison Wood uh, on okay. YouTube, uh, turning nervousness into excitement. Uh, and, and watch that video. She did, a, uh, she's a Harvard business professor and she did a study on turning nervousness into excitement. Uh, because if you see professional athletes, and I know you need to go, but if you see professional athletes being interviewed before big games, like Tom Brady recently, an interview, a reporter went to Tom Brady and said, how are you feeling about the Super Bowl? And he, he, he typically responds, I'm excited. And the reason why he does that is because he's trained himself that the butterflies, he feels butterflies, he feels nervous, he feels tense, but those are the exact same symptoms as excitement. If you ever experience pure excitement, you're gonna feel tense, heart racing, butterflies in the stomach, but it's how we interpret those symptoms that's gonna manifest into how we behave. So when we start saying and reciting to ourselves, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm ready, bring it on, this is, this is exciting, then all of a sudden, uh, what you believe you become, and you start to see things differently in life. Yeah, I love that. Also, I think the uh, confidence is action, not a feeling, that really spoke to me. And like I've been, I was doing some movement training in New York, uh, Lloyd Williamson technique, and like my teachers would often have me like be really big, you know, because yeah. I think in my past I used to make myself really small, yeah. and so there is something about that, like pretending I'm like a large animal, <laughs> yeah, yeah. walking, stomping around. Yeah. There's something about that. Absolutely, I do this training in workshops, and I ask people uh, raise your hand, and people just go like this. And I said, okay, raise your hand again, but raise it really high like this. And then they do it and say, okay, so why did we raise our hand like this in the, in the, in the beginning? And then oftentimes we get into uh, limiting ourselves. Like we just don't want to take much space. We limit ourselves, but that's like mindset. We got to push beyond what we feel like we're capable of doing and, and, and just kind of reach because on the other end, we, we have never experienced this because we never tried anything different. So, so breaking that, those limitations in that ceiling starts with you just doing different. You gotta just do different things and expose yourself. And you might fall down, but you pick yourself back up and do different again and try it again. So strive for progress, not perfection. Thank you. All right, I gotta run. All right, take See care. See you. Thanks for Hi, Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Alex from Clubhouse. <laughs> okay. Hi. Bye, Grace. It's Jen. Bye. All right. Anyone else before we close this down? Any other thoughts, comments, questions? Hey, Matt. Hi, Alex. Hi. Go, yeah, go ahead, Kim. Go, go ahead, Alex, please. We'll go, okay. Yeah, we'll go. No, Alex. I, I thought all of it um, was so good, but um, definitely what Grace said, I wrote down like confidence. Do I'm new to the world of self-compassion through you. Um, and Kristen Neff, but like confidence, having confidence and fear, just what you were talking about just a few minutes ago. Um, I, I love all of this as, as working in education, like trying to bring this into the system that I work in, um, while at the same time working in education 
in a pandemic in person. Um, I could use a lot of this in my life. And then applying um, to teach new teachers is what I'm kind of using this for now because I have lots of thoughts that I would be horrible. But that's like become what I believe. But I also have so much experience doing different alternative ed that yeah. I use that. Um, Awesome, Alex. And one thing that I remember from our conversations before is that, you know, dealing with kids, I got this. It's easy. Like, I'm, I'm used to this. I'm confident. But then when dealing with uh, adults and parents and professionals around the table, it's all of a sudden we have these limiting beliefs about that experience. But if we can start to debate them and just say, you know what? It's like, no, I, I know how to stand up for myself. I know how to um, be more assertive regardless of what people are thinking about me or saying, I know, I know how to do these skills. All of a sudden you're debating these limiting beliefs and then you're over time, you're going to start to exchange them and you're going to start to behave, see things differently, perceive things differently. And, and it can radically start to change how you see life and how you approach those situations. But we, we first need to identify what those limiting beliefs are and then we start debating them, saying, no, Alex, no, you can do this. You've done it before. Um, it's no different. You just got to really focus on the skill of communicating, of just speaking up and being assertive. I got this. I can do this. Well, thank you so much. No problem. All right, Ken. Hey, Matt. And uh, sorry for interrupting you there, Alex, but you were talking about Matt in the ABCDE model. Yeah. going from activity event that more often than not people go from a straight to c yes. how do you catch yourself going from a to c and if you reflect after that you did that do you recommend going back and going through all the way a through e or just moving on and letting it go no no um those uh, again like remember the moment you learn from a failure it becomes feedback not failure so I, I struggle with this all the time. So I have an activating event and then I experience a consequence and I didn't even realize what happened in the middle. Just something happened and then something happened, right? Something occurred in life and then I started to react and behave in a certain way. But if I unpack that, even if it's after the, after the event, that's why with all my athletes, I have a reflective journal that I have people do. And I, I have them go through that whole exercise. Okay, so what triggered you? What was that activating event that really sparked that emotional experience? What were some beliefs you had around that event? What came up for you? What were some thoughts that you said to yourself? Or what are some beliefs that you said to yourself? And what did that make you do? What did that make you focus on? What did that make you think of? And how did you respond and behave? And then... Let's start to challenge that belief, if we can identify that. So I go through A, B, C, D, and then the E comes naturally as a byproduct of doing A, B, C, D. Once you start debating some of those limiting beliefs, then you're going to start to uh, exchange those old beliefs with new ones over time. It doesn't happen right away, just like how you're developing a new muscle. you got to constantly catch yourself. And the more that you can catch yourself in real time, uh, the better you're going to become at exchanging these beliefs. But oftentimes it's aftermath. It's, it's after the event, after that happens, then you go back and you unpack it, you process it. And that's the, that's the magic is, is processing it. Um, can you repeat the ABCDE model name? Yeah, it's, it's called the ABCDE model by Ro uh, Albert Ellis. And um, he developed Rational Emotive <laughs> Behavioral Therapy, REBT. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Thanks, Matt. No problem. Uh, any other thoughts? Ken, uh, did that answer your question? I don't know if it did. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for answering that. And thanks for doing this. This has been great. Oh, absolutely. This was fun. Um, anyone else before we shut this down? Well, again, Thank you so much. Thank you, Sanderson. Thank you for joining. I All the way in Montana. I know it's early there. And, and you too. No, it's yeah thank you so much it was great good so um if you can if you can strive and do one thing and strive for progress whatever it might be 
let's say it's kind of working out or, or dieting or eating healthier, just make one healthy choice. Strive for progress, not perfection. You don't have to get it right all the time. Um, so that's, that's my end quote for you all. And I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm going to uh, email this to you. I'm going to put this into a video so that you guys can use this to review um, and, and go back to and reference. So thanks for participating with me and sharing your Saturday afternoon with me. I appreciate it so much. And, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys. And if you have any questions in the meantime, just reach out and, um, and just look for an email. I'll, I'll send you this video uh, shortly. All right, guys.